Happy New Year to everyone who listens to this podcast. It's been the end of an incredible year. I'm sitting here uh, on the holiday with my wife, Shan. It's just the two of us. Say hello. Hello. Happy New Year. It's been a great year for the both of us. We got married this year and a lot of just great things happened. One of them, which we were going to talk about today, this episode, we're going to have uh, Millie, Phillips, and Dan, who are who have been working on the film project that our Patreon supporters are funding. Um, but before that, I guess we just wanted to say Happy New Year to everyone with a special thanks to all the Patreon supporters for whom I have a renewed sense of gratitude because... Uh, uh, because it really meant a lot to to us to be able to to uh, be a part of this project, and also we hosted uh, Phillips and Dan in our place in Queens for five days while they were shooting, and Shan just wanted to share some thoughts that she had during those about those five days. So first of all, I want to thank like all Patreon the donation to make this film possible, and also I just want to say um, it's really amazing to see how the film project being made. I have seen like Millie carry like five bags of really heavy stuff and moving around just to film it, and I have seen Philip <laughs> who woke up really really early in the morning and then drank a lot of coffee, and then he need to use a bathroom but he couldn't find one so he had to hold on for an hour or so before he can use the bathroom and I have seen like Dan he's like kind of like mastermind and just like know what to do and very professional including like they have like what two backup of the whole um video and stuff and they film for like 50 hours like we can barely see them in the apartment they will come back pretty late so I just want you guys to know they work really hard and on top of that, they have a lot of fun, of course, and I'm just really happy that I have a chance to kind of see it, and that's how we end the year 2022, and that's pretty amazing. Thank you so much for your support. Yeah, well said. And with uh, no further ado, here's the pod. Okay, welcome to uh, an episode of a new episode of Escape from Plan A, one that I'm really looking forward to because we've got uh, well, it's me, me and my wife Shan, and we're just sitting at home. Say hi, Shan. Hello. And uh, we've got uh, Dan, Phillips, and Millie, who uh, are the three sort of like you know core people behind. Well, I, I know there are others in the crew. I'm leaving people out, but. Um, Three core people who have been working on this short film that Plan A has um, been backing. And we finally had time to... I know we wanted to even pod maybe when the three of you were here in New York. But you guys had just so much stuff packed in those five days. It was crazy. And so now we found a little time to, to actually sit, step back for a sec and and just kind of talk about the uh, about the, that process so welcome everyone. Welcome Dan. How's it going? Hey, good to good to like talk with you all again. After I think it's been a month since we did the shoot, but uh, it's been a glad month. To be yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. Phillips. Hi. How's it going? Miss you, man. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
things are less lively without you uh, hanging around. Um, and Millie, who is on New York, so I've actually is in New York. I've actually been able to see you since then. So uh, great to hear, great to hear your voice, Millie. Yeah. Hey guys. Hey Dan. Hey Phillips. Miss you guys. Miss you too. So uh, yeah. So I was thinking about how to do this pod. Like, um, there's just so many things I want to like recall. Um, but maybe it would be best, especially for like. Because I, I kind of want to describe this for, especially for like Patreon members who it's basically their money that, you know, they entrusted with, with us and we just sort of hold, held on to it until we found something that we thought was really might be worth their while. Um, but, you know, I always remark upon about how like we had sort of like, Dan, we had separately thought of like reaching out to each other on mm-hmm. this, but we but we never did it. We never reached out to you. You reached out to us. And I always thought that that was like I took that as a sign that this was a good idea. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. No, I'm glad. He, I, I really love how organically it seems this all came together because I I've been like a long time listener and I feel like the topics and the things that you all discuss definitely honestly inform me as a creative person, like the themes and, and things I want to explore. And so then I think I had been hearing that you guys were looking for something to commit uh, your funding to um, and weren't getting a lot of writing, uh, I guess, assignments to, to give. And I, so um, I also was kind of just thinking about um, in my life, I had just wrapped a feature documentary and I'm kind of in this in-between phase where I'm in between like the bigger projects that take like years to execute and to set up and pull off. And so, you know, I was thinking like, oh, can I do something like short that I, you know, care about? And so hearing that you guys were kind of looking for something to do, me being like a longtime listener and interested in the themes that we tend to like explore on the pod and then wanting to personally just find a new narrative to explore about, um, anti-Asian violence, because I feel like when I hear stories about anti-Asian violence and victims, um, there's always kind of like this perfect victim narrative. Like, you know, we always talk about how good and innocent the person is. And this is usually true, right? But that's it. It's kind of like, and what a shame that this happened. And um, there's nothing to be done about it. And so I think when I heard about Dragon Combat Club, that was kind of the final piece of the puzzle that clicked. I was like, well, Plan A's talk to these folks. I think they'd be interested. I think they'd be interested in making something, perhaps. Um, let me just like text Chris and see what you all are thinking at this moment, you know? And so it kind of came together through that text and then we started talking and then, and so on and so forth. Yeah, that's, I still find that amazing because like I can't say how like perfect the timing was because we had been really like flailing about trying to figure out what to do with this, the Patreon cash. And I remember even us thinking like, you know, it's enough for us to think about what to do with it, but it's not enough for us to just like assume that something can be done with it. And, you know, we, we were talking to you and it just kind of sort of worked out that that might be enough for the scale of project that you were thinking about, which is like a short film, right? Like you're, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I don't know, like how much, how much do you think can be covered like in a short film? Do you think you're going to be able to cover like the things that you, uh, you know, saw here in New York and uh you know get us get your story across or at some point is this something that you think you need to do like a longer format project for you know what i mean 
I think for the purposes of what I'm interested in doing, a short will work. You know, a short that's anywhere from five to 15 minutes. Um, because what I want to give people is the impression of just like what it feels like to be on the ground in New York, being a volunteer that's trying to stop or help people who are victims of attacks. And um, I guess that's what I want to give. I want to give an impression. I want to give a feeling. And so that I feel like you can do in a short film. Now, whether we get into like the, the root causes of violence, societal, you know, holes that we need to fill, um, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's, that's probably not going to be fully covered. But the feeling of being angry and frustrated and fed up and then doing something about it and finding community in the meantime, that's what I want to get across in, in the short film format. Yeah, I could see that because like, um, yeah, I, I, I feel like you, okay, so to the extent you're saying capturing a feeling, right? I think, uh, I want to say that the two of you, you and Phillips, like, uh, you know, I almost think of this, whatever resulting film comes out of this, I'm almost curious to see it in the same way that like, you might be curious to see pictures that you've taken. Well, these days people take digital photos, but I'm curious because I feel like you guys had like an amazing trip to New York over five days. I, I was saying this while you guys were here. Like even most New Yorkers don't experience New York the way you guys experienced New York, where you guys got up at like crack acid dawn. Uh, literally like when, when you, you were, you guys were setting the alarm, like, you know, it was still dark outside. And then I see you, it was, it was pretty cold when you guys were here. And you guys were like gearing up, and then Millie shows up at like <laughs> from your place, getting all the way over to mine in Elmhurst by like, which is like you know, cross. It's across several, two boroughs, or maybe one. Sorry, yeah. you're coming from Manhattan. You're, it's it's across a borough, and you're here at like what you were here at like five thirty six, and <laughs> and then I was, you know, you guys are just gearing up, and then. You know, we pack into my old Honda and we just drop you off somewhere in the city, like, like, you know, deploying commandos into the field. And then we just fly away. And I don't see you guys for like 15, 16 hours. <laughs> and you guys come back with like crazy footage. I remember that that one day I still am kind of shocked at like, no, I was I was amazed because I was like watching the morning that we dropped you off in um, Flushing to like, you know, meet ron kim as he like came downstairs from his elevator to start his day at six in the morning and with his two little girls and then you came back like late at night and you had you ended the day with footage of china mac in uh in in downtown manhattan and i was like what kind of a day did you guys have do you know what i mean uh oh, yeah, that was crazy sure. i mean that's yeah. that's production for you you know i, I think uh I mean, Dan Phillips and I have spent a lot of time on set, you know, working on different film projects. Um, this film for me was a little bit of a first because it was the first doc that I worked on as a producer. Um, you know, I've shot short docs of my own. You know, I did in school, but I mean, this was it was um, it's a project with a different kind of scope and scale, uh, and so it was kind of a boot camp in in doc documentary filmmaking um, for me. Uh, and, but I would say that, you know, what you're describing teen, the 16 hour day that starts at 530 is sort of typical for any sort of film shoot, to be honest, uh, because you're often trying to shoot things during daylight hours, which means you have to, you know, be on set and ready to shoot before the sun rises. 
so I think that our shoot had sort of special demands because we were running all over New York, you know, meeting with different subjects um, and we had to work around their schedules. Uh, but like I said, um, it's, it's all par for the course with film production. It's crazy. Cause like, I remember like in the morning I was, I was thinking, I was like, Oh, it's kind of early for me, you know? And then, uh, one of your, uh, one of the other crew that you guys had enlisted to come help. I was talking to her just like waiting for everything to start. And I was like, Oh, where are you coming from? She said, Coney Island. And I was like, how did you, how did you get from Coney Island to Elmer's? I didn't, I didn't even know you could do that in the morning. You know, like it was just the the level of dedication to show up onto, you know, like wherever you guys are meeting on time. And I think Phillips, you were saying that this was like there was like a military, the military militaristic aspect of this to working on um, a crew. I just found the whole creative, like just to witness the creative process behind making these things. It was really cool. I don't know. I, I was very uh, impressed and inspired by it. I thought it was really fun to see. So I don't know. Phillips, what did you think? Was this a typical like environment to work on or was this something new for you too? Um, I had a little experience working on documentary with Dan. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the very first projects that we worked on together after graduating from USC was a cross-country road trip from LA to New York documentary on homelessness in America. Um, for this one is actually, for me, it's really awesome to look forward to before I even come out of the trip because number one, I haven't worked with Dan in a few years because Dan's been working on a documentary on his own. Um, and then I also haven't came out of New York in a long time, um, in almost like a decade. And plus just haven't traveled in a while. It always helps to work as a documentarian with like fresh eyes, you know, like part of it, maybe I'm from an outsider, maybe I'm missing something, but as a photographer, you're also like really excited. You know, if I live in LA and tell me go shoot a documentary in LA, I'm like, everything looks the same to me every day, you know, but I'm coming to New York. I was like, Oh my God, you know, I want to shoot everything, you know? So, um, so that aspect, it was really fun, you know, like it, it's just more like a travel trip for me. Um, and then, you know, uh, and plus catching up with Dan, you know, just kind of picking up where he left off, you know. Um, yeah, it's really chill. How about, how, how's that for you, Dan? Yeah, I mean, I think to kind of build a through line through everything that you guys are saying, like, I think for me, like what got me into film was the, the kind of ability to have crazy novel experiences. Um, all of a sudden, like there's cameras involved, you know, there's production involved. All of a sudden people become more open to talking with you, um, doors open, you become more motivated. I know, you know, the feeling of being in New York on this trip to, to you know, follow uh, subjects, but then also knowing that, hey, like people committed resources and money and time to this. So let's really pack the schedule and make sure, you know, we're filling that time and we're using it well. And so it's like both self-motivation, but also other people are like, oh, you're doing a film. Well, I, I'm interested in sharing this or that. Um, I think that's kind of like the special privilege and that's what's cool. And that's what makes you feel like you want to get up at 5 a.m. because you don't want to miss this cool thing that you had talked to someone about seeing. Um, like it's a privilege to be able to walk into someone's uh, apartment lobby who uh, you haven't met ever 
uh, you've talked on the phone once and we, this guy's an assembly member in Flushing, Ron Kim. And, and people will be like, all right, I'm going to film you and your kids walking to the bus stop because that's important to our story. And uh, in what other circumstance would we ever do this other than for a film project? And so it kind of, it kind of, it's, it's, it's interesting. It kind of gives you this, um, this weird key into possibilities that are not. It's like you have a press have pass otherwise. or something. Kind of. Yeah, exactly. Only, only unlike um, like traditional press, like it's creative. And so you could say to someone, Oh, like I want to film it this way. And, you know, it's less, um, you know, there, maybe there's less pressure if it's not like, oh, I'm like a reporter with this newspaper. It's like, no, no, I'm a filmmaker and we want to film this part of your life. And I know Hen, the, the you know, member of Dragon Combat Club that, you know, we had a lot of time spent with. He was also interested in like, hey, I'm doing this knife class on Thursday. You guys want to film that? And I was like, we'd love to, you know, let us know what time you're doing it. That sounds cool. And so it's really fun being able to... Um, I don't know, like film has this power in a way and I don't want to overstate it, um, but it does have something that people are like, hey, you have the ability to illustrate or depict something. So come over here. You know, we have something to say. And so it is it is kind of interesting passport into experience. And so, yeah, like Phillips was saying, I'm just glad to have, among other things, exploring the topic of the film and meeting all the new people that we met, like getting to hang with you guys at Plan A and um, getting to spend time with Phillips and be creative, like again. So that's been really fun. Let me ask, because uh, I've been thinking about this now that you bring this up, because this whole this whole idea that people kind of open up and kind of grant more access if you tell them there's going to be a film. That's exactly what happened to some of the people I talked to in 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 sort of asking them whether they wanted to be in the film. And one of them was Louis Soljevic over you know over at Louis Pizza. And I, you know, I've I've kind of known him for a long time because I go, I actually go eat there sometimes. But you know, I showed up. I was actually kind of reticent about talking to him about the event. You know, where the event where he and his father had had sort of intervened in uh, a robbery in front of his store. And uh, you know, I wasn't sure if he wanted to talk about it. You know, they were pretty severely injured. I don't know if you know it got a little awkward. So I I used to go in there and I would like nod at him a little bit. But I was like, it, it was very awkward for me because I was like, I don't know if I want to bring it up, but I want to give him a little bit of a head nod. And then with the with the film project, that gave me an excuse to just kind of like break the ice on it with him. And I told him that, you know, I had these friends that were coming in from L.A. that wanted to do a film. And I found out, oh, he's super excited and and uh, motivated to talk about this, which was great. So you guys come in to New York and like the first you know, the first evening, um, the three of us and Shannon and, and a couple others and Adam and, and a bunch of others. And also, I think Hen, Hen and Katrina and John, I think, from DCC, a bunch of us over at Louis eating dinner. And I don't know, I kind of go back and forth on whether maybe we that could would have been cool to record or to film. Oh, yeah. Because that was such a I don't know, that was such a and I was telling some of the other folks at Plan A about it. That was such like a quintessentially New York dinner thing, the way it turned out and how everyone was sort of like the whole restaurant was talking. I yes, said it was like was Asian so Italian fun. do the right thing, you know, <laughs> it, but real like with no cameras. Right. So in a way, I was like it was very authentic in the sense that there were no cameras. No no one was really like, you know, gussing it up for um, for the gram or whatever for for, for, for the camera. 
Um, nothing was turned on. But now I kind of wish that we had something to remember that dinner by other than our own memories. But uh, I don't know. What do you what do you what do you guys think, Millie? What did you think of that? Yeah, I mean, I uh, well, firstly, who would have thought that I would have one of the best steaks I've ever had at a pizzeria in Elmhurst, Queens? You know, keep in mind, I'm a steak snob. I, I love Peter Luger. I love Sparks. I love Smith and Walensky's, you know, all the high-end steakhouses here in New York. Um, but I swear the sirloin I had, I had at Louis uh, was one of the best steaks I've had in recent memory. Um, absolutely love that place. Love Louis and his dad, you know, both of whom were full of stories, you know, just full of life. Um, you know, you could tell that the people in the restaurant were mostly regulars, you know, who come in a lot, um, very, you know, down to earth, working class neighborhood. Um, the one that I grew up in, by the way. So it was just kind of a great, uh, you know, trip <laughs> yeah, you're down always... memory lane for me. Yeah. You kept saying like, you're like, you know, maybe I should reassess this area. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so maybe, different. Yeah, maybe I actually know? like this place more than, you know, I, uh, I haven't spent much time there in, I don't know, 20 years. Uh, and it's changed a lot, just as every part of New York has changed. Uh, but I would say actually that the energy of the place hasn't changed much. It's just, um, it's a little more populated. It feels a little more like the mall. Uh, you know, there's a Starbucks, there's a Target, there's a Claire's accessories, and there are a ton of boba shops everywhere. Uh, none of which existed when I was growing up there. Um, but I, I loved being there, you know, it was, it was really meaningful to me uh, to be filming in, 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 in the place that I grew up, um, especially because the last time Elmhurst was in the news was when uh, Elmhurst Hospital was the epicenter of the epicenter of COVID. Uh, oh yeah, really I remember those see. days. That was that was crazy because that that's re- I mean both those places are very close to me, and Millie, I don't know were you I don't know if you were around here at all when that was going down, but like I mean it was like that movie outbreak. Like people, even when we went to like the store, like the the, the food store, like the workers were dressed in full PPE. Yeah, and yep. the international press was camped out on uh, Britain Avenue there, right right in front of. The- Britain Avenue in Elmhurst, you had like Al Jazeera and CNN and all these cameras just trained on the COVID tent. And then you had all these like refrigerated trucks pulling up to get store the bodies. And I was like, holy shit, oh, what is I, happening? Here? Yeah. And also I on the news, I saw a mother was crying because she said her son got sick and she wasn't quite sure whether the son can come out of the hospital alive. So that was hmm. really scary. Yeah. I don't know. It's just a very dramatic place. Elmer, like, it's a weirdly dramatic part part of the city. And Elmer's Hospital, which I think Hen took you guys by that first mm-hmm. day, right? Like mm-hmm. it's just a weirdly dramatic place where a lot of the stories that you read in the newspaper uh, that happened in New York City, they always end up in Elmhurst Hospital. Like Louis ended up and his father oh, yeah, ended up yeah, at yeah, yeah. Elmhurst Hospital. And then the Guiying Ma, you know, like she died at oh, Elmhurst yeah, Hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then mm-hmm. I met Fulton and hen and chong and china mac in front of you know uh in front of the hospital it's just like they should do a show like they should do like a like if they did like one of those hospital shows in new york city it should be <laughs> elmer's hospital for sure you know um 
<laughs> so anyway, but yeah, Dan and Phillips, like you guys, you know, coming fresh off the plane from LA and Phillips, you saying you haven't been to New York in, in 10 years. And Dan, I know you visit New York more for like, you know, things you were here for Tribeca and stuff, but like, I don't know. I, I felt like even as a New Yorker, even as someone who lives here, <laughs> I was like, that's a very, that was a very New York dinner, you know, like <laughs> that, that I still, I, I still marvel at. Um, I don't know how you guys did. Were you guys thinking? Were you, I don't know. Uh, what were you guys feeling about that that night? Yeah, Phillips. What, what were you thinking? Um, yeah, it was cool. You know, um, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, it's definitely kind of straight out of a movie. You know, people just walked in, but I kind of expected like New York show show interaction is very different than L.A. I mean, it in a structural way because you know, in in LA, everybody drives, so th- places are very far. You don't have like kind of corner store pizzeria kind of thing. You know, you may have like a like a sort of local neighborhood one, you know, but you don't really like run into people like that. You know, people kind of just keep it in their own zone. So, so I kind of expect New York has like a very you know, you just kind of walk into people and start a convo kind of thing. But the what we experienced is kind of like a the the you know super extreme version. You know, people just keep walking in, and then and then um, uh, was it Louis? He just started like giving us this twenty minute long speech about his experience. We're like, should we be filming this? You know, like like we left the camera back in the place. You know? like, but uh, but it was good to like sort of take it in. You know, I, I think you know yeah. part yeah, exactly. of it. You know, I think Dan mentioned this is like okay, let's have the first dinner. You know, without camera, just like you know, take it in. It's good to let you know people get to know us as well you know rather than us always kind of behind the camera and not being seen as you know people (laughs) yeah Yeah, i mean you guys had a crazy day because you were up at five in the morning la time and then you got on a flight and arrived in new york and it was freezing yeah uh definitely there there's a there's a selfish aspect of like yo please i don't want to film tonight you know i'm like man i'm kind of i'm kind of tired you're just kind of the fly you know i don't want to unpack all the stuff stop dealing the camera but so it's nice to like oh i want to have a meal you know (laughs) i want want to have some new york food to uh getting the song i think ultimately it worked out better that that wasn't on that wasn't recorded because yeah for exactly the reasons you said i think it at least for me like even even my because I gotta say like when um when Dan had explained when Dan had explained his ideas for the film and stuff like uh and I knew Hen and at that point I only knew Hen as like like a little little square video on my Zoom and he was constantly just yelling at me to like raise my hands higher and tuck my chin in you know and uh, that's all I knew about Hen you know was was that my my form wasn't very good. And, um, and then you said that you guys wanted, you know, Dan said he wanted to do, um, a short film about it. I couldn't really, I was like, is it going to be about my form? You know, like, <laughs> is it, is this just going to be about him yelling at people to raise their hands higher? Cause to be honest, I didn't really know Hen very well. And I guess Dan had been talking to him more and start and, and, and at, at one night, I think Dan, you were explaining to me why DCC and Hen in particular as a character really grabbed your attention. And I was wondering if you could kind of rehash that again. Um, Cause I thought it was really interesting. Totally. Cause you know, my first thought, the first spark of this movie is, is there something that I can explore in regards to anti-Asian violence and people's responses to it? 
and, and kind of being done with this victim narrative and kind of trying to be like, well, what if we just draw a hard line and say our safety and well-being matter and, and fuck you if you say otherwise. And so um, kind of looking around for people that embody that idea. And then I think I started talking to Hen, not knowing his interest level, not knowing if, you know, there's enough for a film, right? And we started talking and he shared um, a piece of writing he made, like a memoir about, you know, the year 2020 and the year 2021 and how it felt like in New York and how it felt like to be in DCC and how it felt to be hearing about all these attacks that are happening around you. And the, the, the emotions and sense of like group community that he had built with like his friends and, and colleagues in the group. Once I read that and knew that he was open to talking with me, I was kind of like, okay, there's, there's absolutely something here. And for me, it then evolved into something like, okay, when something like when, when terrible things start happening, how can people respond to it? And I think for most of us, it is, Oh man, that's a that's a shitty piece of news. I'm gonna I'm gonna feel bad about that for a little bit, and then I'm gonna move on with my life, you know. And then to hear someone like Hen and the, and the people that he works with, and then the friends he's made, um, they're not reacting that way. They are volunteering their time. They have normal day jobs, and they volunteer their non-working hours to training people and training themselves and volunteering and handing out self-defense supplies. And so, you know, once I kind of got a peek into that world that he experiences and knew that he was at least willing to, you know, talk with me. Um, that was kind of like, okay, I think there's enough for a film here. And I think there's definitely enough to explore this feeling that he is feeling and that his group is feeling and to put that onto a, onto a film. I was like, okay, cool. All the elements are coming together now. Wait, can you go into that a little bit more? I'm really interested. So you're saying, um, cause I, I think I know, I think I know, exactly what you're talking about but mm. that you're you seem a little bit frustrated by the victim nar only narrative where mm. i mean it sounds like okay if i if i under understand this correctly it's like yeah this anti-asian violence phenomenon is in the news it's not like nobody's covering it it is mm. sort of like well known and so it, it it doesn't seem like the issue here is like you got to make you felt like you wanted to make a film to get the word out that this was happening right because right people know but what it sounds it seems like is like the nature of that coverage paints asian people as pure victims not in the sense that we're not victims and that oh maybe we're complicit in what we do and i think that narrative is out there too mm -hmm. um but rather like you know that that it's not just uh you know asian community leaders at a loss as to what to do or political leaders for that matter at a complete loss of what to do that, you know, when you talk to us about it, all we can really do is muster tears and, and say how, you know, terrible and in shock we are and that we're a community under assault and we need help and we don't know what to do. And there's like a helplessness to it. And um, <clears throat> I agree that I, I feel like I get frustrated by that because I'm like, I don't really feel that way myself. And mm -hmm. I'm not sure I want other people to feel that way either. Mm -hmm. And I did get frustrated because when I was talking to people about, like some people I know in real life, about um, DCC and some of the other, the other groups, 
their first reaction was like, that's not going to help anything, you know, or mm. that sounds dangerous, like training people to fight. Like, aren't they just going to get overconfident and pick, pick fights, you know? And I, I would just get very exasperated because I'm like, okay, fine. Like you can criticize what people are doing. You can criticize the response, but that doesn't amount to action. Like you're not, you're, you're okay. Then what do you think people should do? You know, uh, and it sounds like it to me, uh, it, it seemed like the, the dominant narrative was just be sad, just be resigned, <laughs> you right. know. And so I don't know. I, I don't know if this is resonating at all, but that that's kind of what I think when you're when you're describing the victim narrative. I mean, yeah, it gets frustrating because even going back to one of the founding stories of Asian America, right, the story of Vincent Chin, um, the man who was beat to death essentially because of like a bar argument, right. That he had with um, these two dudes in Michigan and, you know, the formation of the Asian American community is like, let's advocate in the court system on, on behalf of this murdered man, you know, and, and, and I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think they were convicted of anything. Right. Uh, They were convicted, but they didn't, he didn't really serve any time. They didn't serve any time. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess like even, yeah, going back to the founding, you know, story of, of that and kind of like, okay, there's like a string of unfortunate events. And I guess I get tired of, of just digesting that over and over again without something different to try or something different to take action on. Um, When you think about storytelling and stories, like, we're mainly interested in stories where people take action and try something and fail and try again and, 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 you know, eventually accomplish something, whether or not it was exactly what they set out to do. And so that's what it was interesting to me. Dragon Combat Club is doing something. They are training people. They are training themselves. They are also volunteering. They, you know, I think part of what we're exploring too in this doc is it's not just like you're going to Kung Fu your way out of, you know, a dangerous situation. You could, but it's not necessarily that it's just, if you are more aware of your surroundings and you also look out for the other people in your life and the other people in your city, uh, that helps too. you know, the kind of, if you walk around with blinders on, you don't look out for other people and you don't care about what happens to other people. That is also what leads, um, to these problems. And so I think whether or not you agree with the, uh, action or violent action part of what they're doing, I think the the idea of looking out for your community and being a part of your community and engaging with other people, that is, I think, definitely something we should, everyone should agree on. That is what being human is, is having community. And so yeah. um, that's like the universal thing, I think, is at the bedrock of the film. And yeah, if you disagree with this or that, sure, like, that's, that's fine. You know, let's have a dialogue. But um, that should be fundamental. Yeah, because I, I mean, like, let's face it. And I know this is not this is not probably um, the the PC thing to say, but like, even with all this violence, like the 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 the, the chances that any particular individual or Asian American is going to face that violence is probably still relatively small, right? But I think like there's this larger problem of like the the sort of social response to it. Like, what what does this do to your average person. And I don't think it's just Asians. I mean, this is like a larger, I mean, I think what Asian people are experiencing is part of a larger phenomenon Mm. going on of like just us becoming a more violent society. And at the same time, becoming more paralyzed and fearful of that violence. And I think the paralysis and the fear, even minus like a direct personal experience of violence of being targeted by it, 
mm-hmm. is debilitating in a way. It's not good. It is like also bad to walk in fear and feel yeah. this sort of like learned helplessness that I do think you're right, that I think that the media and the way they want to cover victims and victim groups encourages a kind of paralysis. And the thing that threads the people that populate or will populate this film, at least part of it seems to me like these people are not paralyzed. Like, no. I remember like like Chong, who uh, is in the film is like the opposite of that you know like she's just this woman who is just i don't know like she's just always out in the city she's always doing something and she's always pissed and she's always motivated you know and and i really like i've always really been like happy that she's out there you know doing know her community uh, really well and she know a lot of stuff you know she know what's going on in yeah, and she doesn't hold back. Like she's just even just by herself, she would protest. She would just like you know. Yeah, no. yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. I remember. Um, she. Do you remember the like? I think it was it cats. The queen attorney. Yeah, cats. Yeah. Yeah. She remember she didn't she didn't bring charges against that that woman who had killed one of the delivery uh, delivery guys yeah, yeah, yeah. on her car and Astoria. Yeah, and and then it turned out that she, that that she was the she had been she was like politically connected to to, to a degree, uh-huh. and then uh, Chong just found out where she was having dinner, and one person, just her, yeah, shows up solo, yeah, <laughs> with, with with like a protest sign, yeah, and she's on Twitter going like, yeah, I was the only one, but I don't care. <laughs> Yeah, that's really impressive. I ruined her dinner. Like that's all that matters. Yeah, Chong and I was like, so Dude, she's awesome, and. You know, we need, you know, I think tied into the social response that you were talking about, Teen, is very much the media response. You know, obviously, the media is only going to cover people who are telling narratives that are consistent with mainstream beliefs about Asians. So, you know, I mean, in thinking about and thinking about it, it just kind of dawned on me, like, what are some of the other I was trying to think of films or series or you know docs anyone who's covered uh people who are actively addressing anti-asian violence in new york or in the u.s and i i couldn't think of anything yeah so, I, you know to that I agree. to that end i'm really you know i i hope we're one of the first i think um you know there's definitely a place for this for this film and and from the point of view of on being on the ground too is not like you know being a reporter who kind of dips into this environment um, exactly or covers it you know as yeah something to be sensationalized or to be um or to be or as clickbait um or as like an abstract remove from from the issue itself like i think if we if we accomplish what we're trying to accomplish it should feel like you know what it feels like to be a member of the community not as someone who is uh working in media who's visiting the community which we are but if we do our job well it will feel like you're actually there yeah you know millie said something about this that i thought was really interesting where i think you told me millie like after everything i'd wrapped that one of the things that you took away was that you really liked Chinatown. Like you had never really experienced Chinatown at the level that you guys did. And you met like, you know, shop owners and like, including like younger shop owners. 
and you met a lot of, and then I think you said like when you went out and, and there, you were doing like subway service with like TC, TCBUA, the camp us all. And, and I think DCC was there too. You said it was almost like the final boss of, you know, the, 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 the five days. I kind of forgot what you meant exactly by that, but you were, you had a pretty strong reaction to that day when they were doing subway service and all that over at grand street. And I was wondering what you meant by that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was really super fun to spend time in New York Chinatown. Uh, it had been, you know, a really long time since I had an excuse to be down there. And uh, we were just, you know, we, we spent a lot of time walking around certain pockets of neighborhoods that I wasn't familiar with. And we just found, you know, all kinds of like really great stuff. You know, uh, there was Soli Tea. Uh, shout out to Kenny Lee over there, um, you know, who, who who's a very young entrepreneur who runs that shop with his sister. Uh, you know, also Golden Diner um, is Asian run. And I, uh, the, the owner's name, I think it's Sam. I'm going to have to check. Apologies. Um, but when I told him that we were, I, I just got to chatting with him at the counter as I was paying the bill and uh, told him that we were part of a crew, a very small crew, filming a short documentary on anti-Asian violence. And he got super excited uh, and said, you know, thank you. Thank you for, thank you for doing this. Thank you for the work, <laughs> which, you know, blew me away. I mean, I was like, thank you for your work. You know, you're out here uh, running a business, running a restaurant in New York City, uh, which by the way, was packed. There was like an hour and a half wait. Uh, this is Golden Diner. I gotta, yes. I'm going to write this down. It's, uh, it's in East Chinatown, like pretty far down south. Uh, great food. Really, really cool spot with really, really good food. Highly recommend it. So there was that. I was just so glad to be able to reacquaint myself with Chinatown in a way that I had never been able to do. And then there was the experience you were talking about, Teen, of filming in the Grand Street stop. Uh on the D line down in East Chinatown. Yeah. This is we like there, right by Christina Unilee's uh, apartment, apartment and where, right, where, that where went she down. was killed. Yeah. Um, and I have been through that subway stop on the train many times, but not necessarily spent a lot of time in the street outside of that. stop. I don't know that station very well. There are many stations in New York that I know like the back of my hand, but this is not one of them. And we were there on a Saturday afternoon. It was super busy. Uh, the DCC guys and the and Fulton and the and they can't burn us all uh, were there. You know, uh, doing community outreach, helping helping. Honestly, the el a lot of the elderly people who they explained to me uh, come to East Chinatown to shop to go grocery shopping, and then bring what they buy back to uh, Brooklyn um, and, and other places where they live. But point is, it was a very packed station with a very strange, with a very varied demographic because there were a lot of uh, Chinese and Asian Americans there. But then also, um, I, I, I don't know how to describe this group like uh, um, w without sounding like a jerk, but um, kind of a lot of assholes who were clearly bar harp ho hopping. I, I think it was a. It wasn't. It was you mean a, like douchebags. Yeah, a, kind of a bunch of like, <laughs> like a bunch of douches. Douches, you know, mm. coming through this station 
um, I think to go watch a game. There was some sort of football thing going on or something. But it was the kind very, of person very... that like like that Amanda Yee would love to roast on Twitter. <laughs> you know, for suggesting I don't know who that, you mean, but yes, yes, for, for suggesting absolutely. that the dumplings have rat meat in them, or something, you know, something <laughs> yes. like that. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people who seemed faintly racist, and you know, honestly, in my mind, did not belong there. Did not belong in East Chinatown. Um, so it was just a very strange mix of people, and the place just had a really negative energy, actually. Yeah, for um, sure. And the DCC guys explained to me that that's how it is all the time. And that's one of the reasons that they pick that place, that station, that they, you know, specifically target that station for outreach. Um, because it, there are also a lot of people, um, uh, I hope I don't butcher this, but uh, people who there were people who were clearly high. And I think it's because there's, someone was telling me there's a treatment center or something nearby. And there's, there's a specific reason that there are a lot of addicts and homeless people that who are in that station. Um, and, you know, we found, we found, so I, I would just say in general, it was very crowded, very hectic. Uh, there was, there was a, a level of aggression, sort of a, an aggressive vibe that, you know, was not exactly comforting. Uh, so it was definitely, it was a weird it, it was a weird few hours while we were there. Uh, but for me, it really sort of, it sort of helped crystallize, you know, that, that um, our friends in DCC and TCBUA, uh, you know, are, are putting like, honestly, their physical safety on the line, um, you know, to be in this place helping people. And so that was really. And you think they were pretty excited to have, me, you sure. think they were excited to have you guys there? to to film and stuff or i think so these on these overall these guys were great subjects they were so welcoming and helpful you know constantly offering offering to help offering different ideas uh you know i i mean i i don't i you never want to take for granted that someone would necessarily want to appear in your film um so as dan was saying earlier you know it, it's a, it's a great privilege to have access to great subjects. And I really feel we did. Yeah. And then Dan, Dan and Phillips, you got, I mean, you guys ended up with like, I don't know what you said, 50 plus hours of footage and, and uh, it's going to be quite the, the process putting this thing together because of just like how much raw footage you guys got. Right. Oh Yeah. <laughs> well, part of that's because we also have two cameras. So sometimes two cameras are shooting at once. You're doubling your You're doubling your up. hour count, you know, when you do that. But um, yeah, I mean, we got our editor on board. Ian Chi, he's a good friend of mine. Um, a lot of documentary filmmaking comes together in the edit, and so that's like the stage we're at now is just digesting all that footage and then going through it. And we're going to talk about how to structure it um, in an effective way because we met so many people. And we talked to so many people and we got so many perspectives and I want to find a way to thread through all of them or as many of them as we can fit. Um, you know, sometimes you can't fit everyone in that you met and you filmed with. So that's like the next part of this, uh, this process is going through all of it. But yeah, as far as, you know, when you're there, you know, you only have those cameras for a certain amount of time and we're only there for a certain amount of days. So like, Let's let's go for it. You know, let's get as much as we can. 
I think it's I think it'll be really great because um like I was saying I don't think that to the extent that this uh can can like you said like draw a th- or or pass a thread through all these people like I'm not totally sure that they themselves were or are even aware of that thread like you know not everyone in the film like knows each other right yeah and um i kind of share this with you in that like i i myself i'm not an activist and i don't hit the streets and i don't have that kind of energy you know um but i like to like observe this and i like to know about it and so uh sometimes i wonder if they're quite aware of like what they're up to or the that they are part of a community but maybe they don't even know each other yet and i'm just wondering in my mind as like i'm waiting for or as i'm as you guys are putting this together you know i just keep wondering like if when people who are actually in the film watch it will get like sort of a new perspective on who they are and sort of like the city that they live in and in a way you guys coming from outside um coming from la and not knowing new york as dated you know as a day-to-day city is maybe the necessary way to do that you know like you need outsiders to come in like philip said with like fresh eyes um to sort of draw that picture but i was wondering if both of you guys could uh just like sort of remark upon the the yeah like the impression that you got of new york this time versus maybe in previous times or in your daily life. Um, Phillips, do you want to, I know you, we talked about this, which is why I'm asking this. Cause I thought the things you were saying about it were really interesting. Yeah. I mean, um, for me, this is the first time I came to Queens. Actually, I only been to like Williamsburg, like Manhattan before, you know, kind of like as like a tourist point of view. So also hanging out, we were, we were crashing at your place. So, we're kind of seeing it from your perspective, part of it, you know, and you're so close to the sort of the Chinatown, you know, immigrant area in your neighborhood. So it's really cool to see that. Um, and also, like, I'm, I'm Cantonese. I feel like there are not a lot of Cantonese in L.A., but there are more in, um, in New York and Queens. So I was like, oh, wow, there's all this like dim sum breakfast spot, you know, that you can just walk down to. It's pretty cool. You know, it's like a different Chinese American experience than the one that I got in L.A., you know, um, it's way more sort of, you know, on the streets, you know, like the interconnectedness of people, you know, it's cool. I love it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what else? Um, and also, I like, remember that one night you took me to uh, Jackson Heights. Oh man! Yeah, like was, on Roosevelt Avenue and yeah, all that. Yeah, that was incredible. Yeah. You know, like uh, walking yeah. mobile under... weed dispensaries, yeah. uh, Latin, Latin Latin nightclubs, uh, all that stuff. Yeah, at night. Exactly. Sure. You know, like that's what you don't get from watching a documentary than walking it. You know, on the street. Um, so it's really cool. Um, it, it's just like um, and another aspect of it also. I feel like hanging out with you, teen, you know, we kind of talk every night after we wrap the documentary. Every night we always like walk down the street and kind of just chat and like seeing, you know, a New Yorker's Asian American, you know, lifestyle and and, uh, and the experience very different than, you know, me. So that was really cool, you know, just have those convos. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I think that I think that is because, you know, it's funny because I like had a friend from one of my friends happened to be in New York over that weekend for like a conference, like a professional conference. And he was staying at like this like luxury hotel in Midtown and that, you know, all all expense and everything. He's brought his family up and they were going to go see Rockefeller Center. Christmas tree. Yeah. All the tourists were through. Yeah, exactly. And in a very nice, like, you know, he had it set up really nice. Yeah. And, but, you know, he just had the regular tourist experience. Nothing like, you know, any local experience. Yeah, I would say he had, uh, you know, sort of like the tourist DVD experience. And like the glamour side of the New York City. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't really know New York City. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he had his two kids in tow, so I think that's probably the best. That That's probably the safer bet to, to do, you know. But like two two young dudes that, you know, that are like doing what amounts to like guerrilla filmmaking in New York City. It, it, like that's not going to be interesting to them. They should adventure. Yeah, they should be on Roosevelt Avenue at night. You know, that's that's what New York City is like. That's the sort of like the unregulated wild, wild west part of New York City. Is Jackson Heights at night? You guys saw it—the mobile dispensaries and 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 uh, the brothels and just like the lawlessness of it. It's kind of chaotic, you know. Millie, this is your hometown, you know. Like this is your <laughs> own neighborhood. It's crazy at night. I know. It's, it's, my it's really nuts. grounds. Yeah. It's um, you know, just a few more plugs for Elmhurst, Jackson Heights. It's a very diverse neighborhood. Like, wouldn't you say, teen? Uh, I would say it's like ultra diver. Yeah, like, like I mean, like there's a few spots in the country that are ultra diverse, where they're like just agglomerations of like immigrants I mean, from you know Jackson Heights. It's crazy. Yeah, like according the, to the surveys, Astoria is technically the most diverse place in Queens. Not surprised. Or the most diverse place in New York, uh, but I would say Jackson Heights has to be a very close second because you have. Latin influence, Indians, you have Asians. Um, I mean, it's all over the place. Uh, so. Yeah. And it's not like yeah. a story is very far. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're connected in a way too. Like Queens in general is just like this under, I think Queens, I want to do a pod about Queens at some point <laughs> because yes. it's probably the most underrated, it, under, not underrated, but like misunderstood or overlooked of the boroughs, but that has just like incredible like stories going on all the time. You know, it's a very like active place full of interesting people, but very little like wider consciousness about it other than like, I don't know, like a sitcom, like King of Queens or everyone loves Raymond or something, you know, (laughs) or like George Costanza's parents, you know? Yeah. I I mean, I was glad that uh, Dan and Phillips get to, got to hang us, hang out with us there because, you know, it is kind of a special place. Yeah. And even like the last night, like a little bar, like Pada Paplian, you know, these, these little, that, that little Bangkok area that, that we went to, um, you know, not many people know about these little neighborhoods, but they're amazing. They're like so jam packed with like little micro restaurants and little micro bars like that. And they're all great, you know. Um, so I thought that was fun. Um, I mean, yeah, it was it was an amazing experience. And I think we got to have it because of plan A and we got to have it because of your all of your hospitality. You know, you didn't have to put us up. Um you didn't have to put in the work that you guys did. And 
like that's why Phillips and I got to visit and have the experience and be able to film stuff. And so, um, and then on top of that, just like Millie, as you were saying, everyone in the documentary being helpful and being like, Hey, you should talk to this person too. Um, Oh, that felt really cool. And, and like Phillips was saying the last time, the last times I visited New York, like I visit the people I know in the bubble that I have, which is like film people, right. Um, in Manhattan and Brooklyn. And I don't think we went to Brooklyn once this trip. We, we were in Queens and then we were in like lower East side, Manhattan in Chinatown. And that was, we got to like, yeah, hang out in a really cool fucking sneaker coffee shop. And I never would have known that place existed had I not been doing this project. And so, yeah, I hope, I hope we can give viewers that feeling of like, this is, this is what it feels like to have a whirlwind few days and meet a bunch of really interesting dynamic people. That's my, that's my hope. Yeah. I, I think that you guys actually saw New York from the perspective of like Asian New Yorkers that from outsiders, like generally would get it wrong because they would just focus on like one neighborhood of Asian people in New York and not realizing that there's actually a lot of connection between all of them and uh, people move around that like just going it makes sense to me to go from Elmhurst to the Lower East Side I do that all the time you know like mm-hmm. um and so it's just I don't know I, I'm very I, I just think you guys saw yeah like following the specific people that you did follow around is a slight like a cross-section of New York in the way that they move socially and uh economically that uh is really not understood by people who outside of who are actually living in new york as like you know in these asian communities and it's just yeah i don't you know i don't want to see another doc where it's like let's talk about how problematic and segregated this is it's not it's not that's not the only story like a lot of this is like no these neighborhoods are really cool and the people in them are super interesting and, you know, we should get to know them not as just, uh, you know, um, uh, not just as symptoms of like social problems, but, you know, just just as just as people doing their thing. And, it, you know, it, it's more like you know, how to unify people, like unite them together. Mm-hmm. To find a mutual ground, stuff like that. To unite them and also but also just to like have fun following these people around and and not always just like using using uh your camera or you know your your attention to just focus on problems and and you know and whatever to to make everything see because i think this is something that i see a lot of in like social commentary and documentaries about urban life is you know, how messed up it is and how the people are trapped and, you know, life is terrible and, and all this. And not not to say that there isn't, obviously, this is prompted by problems in the community and in New York, but my experience living among these people and knowing these people is far from the kind of stuff that I see in a lot of documentaries where it's just like, all they do is just commiserate and, you know, whatever, like, all these people, like, I usually know them just because we're having fun together, you know? Like, I know Ron because we'll just go grab Hot Pot with him and his kids. And we don't talk about, we, you know, we would just sit there and talk about problems. You know, we shoot the shit and have fun. Mm-hmm. And um, same with, you know, everyone else, Chong and, and Louie and, and all those people. And Henry. And Henry and stuff. And, uh, yeah, so going back to what Dan had originally said about not wanting to 
just focus on this helpless um what might be a positive side to try to get a solution or possible a solution or something like that it's just not like just crying in front of the camera yeah just like life goes on you know like even in the face of this like life goes on and so um i don't know that's how i feel day to day so it was really nice to see that um I don't know. I just thought that you guys came into New York and saw it for yourself in a very traumatic way or in a very cool way. So I don't know what I guess where I'm at is like, you know, in terms of the film itself, like I think I speak for plan A on this is like our our intention this whole time was just to like have fun. You know, the whole purpose of this for was to have fun and, and anyone involved in it, you know, for you guys to have fun. I thought those five days were super fun. When you guys left, Shan was like, I feel like I have empty nest syndrome. Like, you know, Aww. like our house feels so empty. <laughs> I, I feel like you're going to come back. You know, the first night I'm like, mm, I kind of missed them. I feel like they're coming back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, but thankfully we did get you to the airport on time fairly. You guys almost missed <laughs> we, we had to run. I was so nervous. Yes, run I heard this the story. Park. Oh my goodness. We, I was playing yeah. it cool, you know, and then Dan was like, actually, Tina, I'm, <laughs> Actually, a little nervous here. I, I don't, I was I don't like, know if you're. Dean, you've been saying the traffic's going to clear up for the past 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you, keep, you keep repeating. I think it'll clear up after this. <laughs> right after this exit, guys. We're going to. It's going to. No. <laughs> it was just. You guys ended up having to run onto the plane. <laughs> Shan was yelling at me. She's like, why did you guys wait to the last minute? And I said, I it's, it's not a problem. They got on the flight. That's my only job was to get them on the flight. Yeah, but, but not like that. Well, you guys were too busy having a good conversation. I, That's what I, I know lessons were learned. I'm sorry that I wasn't there. But, uh. <laughs> Phillips was like, hey, before we go. Well, actually, I, I think I said to Phillips before we, we go, do you want to just burn one or something? <laughs> so we were just chatting again. <laughs> Next thing you know, like an extra 20 minutes had gone by. And I was like, oh, shit, I got to go get the car. So ah, that's why you guys so late. I was so nervous that I couldn't really even say a word in the car. I'm like, oh, shit! Oh, I keep looking at the phone. I'm like, oh, we're late, we're late. You just gotta, you just gotta trust the process. Maybe. Yeah, trust the process. You know, stay calm, carry on. We will get there on time. And they got to their plane. Nothing can go wrong. Yeah. Anyway. Um, um yeah so super fun guys like uh, and and we're all like super honored to uh to be a part of it and because look like i said really we are just uh we see ourselves as just kind of being entrusted by our the plan a supporters who for whatever reason <laughs> decide to kick you know a few bucks to us per month and and you know we we always assume that this money was uh, stuff that they were entrusting us with to go do something that they would think was a good use of it. And I don't know, I can't think of anything better than, than something like this. It's fun. It's, uh, it's enlightening. Uh, and it's, and it's fun. Yeah. It's it also like, you know, you kind of united some people together, kind of like form a network. Mm. So, oh yeah. Like I said, like, I remember cause like we were watching footage of Ron Kim at night and I was like, wow, look at his office. Like, he has all these awards, you know? Like, I don't have any awards. Like, I'm not that kind of person, you know? Like, Ron's getting up at six and then just doing all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm not a guy like Ron. Like, he's got next level motivation. But because these guys are doing this movie, now Ron 
thinks he thinks more highly of me because because I did him a bit. I, I did him a solid, and I didn't even really have to do anything. <laughs> These guys had to do it. So. Yeah, that's what make uh, Teen Re happy because now he thinks like people will, you know, like him more. Exactly, all the yeah. benefits accrue to me. You know, so. You're a magnate now, you know. You're, yeah, you're, exactly. You're an important he figure. He just need to sit, and then just people just come to watch him. That's what he like. Yeah. He doesn't need to do much work. He's just like, uh, I'm here. It's judo. <laughs> anyway, well, as as a Plan A Patreon supporter, I also am glad that <laughs> this happened. And um, yeah, I hope that we, we can do more like cool projects through through Plan A. Um, and then I guess the, the other thing I want to say is like. Obviously, we should definitely talk again after we put the movie together because we're all talking about the experience of, of making it and being on the ground. But obviously, the movie itself is a different story. And, you know, we were talking towards the end of the trip of organizing a New York screening and getting all the people that we filmed with to come out and hang out with each other and maybe tie those threads closer together. Um, you know, people who don't know each other, but we're both in the movie, they can meet and they can talk and we can form more connections between people oh yeah for sure i've had thoughts about that millie's had thought of thoughts about that too i think everyone's excited about that prospect um but but for now i'm like i don't know i guess this whole time i'm like i just i just want to give you guys well we we just want to give you guys space to make the make the film any way you want and, and have continue to have fun doing it because i don't know i i've got this like uh, sense that like having fun is a prerequisite to the thing being good you know um it just brings the right kind of energy to it mm. so i don't know just continue to have fun guys um so yeah that's all i got um that. yeah uh let's see any closing thoughts were about like an hour i think it's a good place to wrap it up um i appreciate you guys making the time uh i know you guys are busy and it's almost new year's and stuff happy new year's everyone i think i told chan this is like probably the best hands down best year of my life we got married this year other good things have happened but this i think was a critical component to that because i felt like suddenly all the all the time that we had uh you know like plan a stuff that over the years i was sometimes i was like what is the point of this it's like a lot of grief uh, but now I'm like, oh, okay. We like something cool came out of it, you know? So yeah. Happy new year's. If it's a good year, Phillips, I know you guys were talking about potentially celebrating it. I think if it's a good year, I feel like you got to celebrate it to some extent, you know, like you can't just let it pass by without mm-hmm. giving proper thanks to a good year, you know? So I encourage you to go celebrate it. Um, all right. Any last thoughts or should we wrap it up? I mean, nothing other than, you know, just to echo what Dan said about how thankful we are to you guys, to Plan A and to the supporters. You know, this this whole thing would not have happened without you. And uh, I think it's going to be great. Can't wait to see it. And, you know, thank you again. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Th- thanks again to the Patreon supporters. Um, really cool. All right. So that's our episode for this week. Uh, We'll be back with another one next. All right. See y'all. Cheers. Happy New Year. Happy Happy New New Year. Year.
hang on until the end of this if you want to hear a short little Easter egg excerpt audio of Phillips explaining why you should go watch Avatar The Way of Water in IMAX and what a technical achievement it is. <laughs> because so um, because I, I need to see if the IMAX version's better or the Dolby 3D version's better. You so, watched um, it twice. I watched it twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. What did yeah, you think? Um, I think quality-wise, the Dolby mm. version is amazing because because newer projectors. So this is kind of a myth, you know. I'll just take this opportunity to demystify of the AMC, you know, like different settings. So now you go to AMC. There's like kind of three options. There's your you know, obviously, there's the IMAX, which is kind of like, you know, the biggest thing. However, there's the new Dolby Theater. It's actually called Dolby Vision. It's not just sound. They did put, like, more than 100 speakers in there or something. But at the same time, it's the new standard by Dolby, which is what we usually color grade as a new standard, too. It applies to TV, you know, like home entertainment and all that. So basically, now you have Dolby Vision. is kind of like standardized all the different new you know, 4K TV and all that. So um, so if you go to Adobe Theater, it's newer projector. It's 4K. They do it with two laser projectors. And um, and it's way brighter. The blacks are deeper. I remember I was watching the second time. I was like, man, this looks more HD than my real life. Like, it looks so crisp. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it, it's really good. However, I actually like, from a sensation standpoint, like, IMAX is amazing. Because I was the when I won't see the IMAX version it was like packed with people, so you you don't see any empty seats in the theater. That was amazing. And then the second time I went, it was maybe a week after. It's kind of you know like the it's still pretty packed, but it's not as many people, so it feel a little bit weaker as a you know as a sensation. So yeah, both both are valid, but from a quality point of view, the Dolby is kind of kind of the jam. Wow, I didn't know that Dolby had a visual component now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The last but, time you but, said that, where you're like, "This is more HD than real life," I remember you were saying that about my my windshield. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I, I so just say like, you know, yeah, the water stuff. You know, like I, I I remember very specifically this scene with like, you know, there are like on the burning, you know, backdrop the shipwreck, and then there was like fire and water glim- glimmering on their faces. I was like. This is incredible. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was this one particular, like, little, like, just shortcut where yeah. they were like, is that real? Or, like, a lot of people were posting it online, wondering if it was real. Yeah, like, I, I remember in the credit, the last, last shot where they show, like, the tycoon. You know, I guess it's like the Navi version of the whale. Um, you know, it kind of did this sort of, uh, you know, flip out of the water with the sunset in the background. I was like, I remember the first time I saw it, maybe I was just kind of baked in the end. You know, I was like, yo, did James Cameron just cut in like a real photography? I was like, wait, you don't have that creature in real life. Where am I thinking? About? <laughs> but, but I thought I was like, oh, it's, uh, are they doing like a new, you know, like 
Like, oh, I'm gonna sneak in one photography realism shot. Oh wait, it's actually a fictional creature that can be. But it was so real. I literally wait, so, thought about. So you were saying it's significantly better than the first one in terms of like oh, audio. Way better. Way really? Better. Yeah. Oh yeah, wow. Yeah. Okay. Because the first I mean, one was already pretty amazing. I don't want to make this a whole podcast about Avatar too, but you know, they, they basically <laughs> it's Weta. Weta went through doing a Planet of the Apes movies, you know. So Andy Circus is so many movie with Weta with the face, uh, the mocap and the facial mocap stuff that at this point in Avatar two, they have gained all the experience from like you know all those Ace movie, you know, like Lord of the Rings and all that stuff like compiling years and years of experience to do the second one, which the, I, I read about this because I'm, I'm very um, obsessed. You know, after I saw it the first time, I looked up everything I could. Um, and um, and basically, they were trying to take out the animation. Like, there, there should be no animator involved in changing their performance. It should be one-to-one translation. So, yeah, that's kind of the, the whole improvement on the second movie. And just to watch the acting is kind of kind of fun. Hey, hey, Phillips, do you have, it says you have a Yeti. Do you have like a gain setting on the Yeti at all? Let me check. Or, because I think you're clipping a little bit. Okay, like, there's like, there's like a, let me check. Yeah, there is. So should I like turn it all the way down? No, 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 just a little bit. Just a little bit. Click it down okay, a little cool, bit. Cool. Yeah. How's that? Um, just because you're clipping in parts. Okay, cool. and that should be fine. Yeah, I went to right. pick up this mic this morning just to uh, just to do this, you know. <laughs> cool. Anyway, wait, is that really the difference? That left one, Dan, is the first one. <laughs> no, no, it can't have been that. The left one's from The Sims. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Dude, like, you're like, whoa, we all watched that. <laughs> no, it wasn't like 1989 when they did this. Okay. <laughs> Some Grand Theft Auto graphic. Yeah. <laughs> it had the, the like nobody had legs. They just floated around like ghosts. No one had when, fingers. Yeah. <laughs> when did they release this video game? <laughs> I mean, it must have been after 2009 because that's when Avatar came. This, this, this thing is the first Avatar. <laughs> All right, so team, you saw it too. I mean, is it a good movie? Will I be mad? I only saw the first one. Oh, got it. Um, I th- I liked the first one. I thought the first one was really good. It's easy to hate on, but like, I thought I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. I don't know. Uh, I had a great only, time. I yeah. only dimly recollect the first one, but I see the second one. It has a tomato meter score of seventy eight percent. Which is pretty good. It's and pretty audience good. score is... of ninety-two. Yeah, that's pretty. Usually, the audience that's score pretty is pretty high. accurate. Yeah. Do you remember and, uh, we, were, we were talking about like the biggest screen in on like the eastern East Coast or something, right, Millie? Yes. So you should see it on that screen. Indeed, it's yeah. actually playing there. So, teen, maybe we should go. Yeah, I'll go. Wait, which screen is that? Is that it's, um... uh, the IMAX screen at Lincoln Square? Oh, okay. Yeah, the biggest screen, right? In uh, yeah. in New York. Yeah, it's a really big one. Wait, is it an AMC theater kind of thing, or is it? Is it? It is AMC. Uh, uh, I think I went to see Top Gun there. Yeah, I've seen a few films there, like uh, okay. Dunkirk. Oh, okay. Uh, recently, the the latest Batman. Shannon and I went to go see Top Gun there, but I think we just saw it on a regular screen. Yeah, yeah we didn't pay, yeah. pay for the, like the RPX or IMAX thing. Too many people when you know the IMAX mm. come out. That was the first night when we watched it. 
Oh, nice. Mm. Hi, Sean. Hey, You're joining hey. too? Yeah, I'm here. Good. Uh, you sound a little faint, by the way. No, so she's sharing a mic with me. So um, if she's going to say something, she's just going to have to grab the mic out of my hand. Okay. Um, because it's it's just hard to get a two mic set up at home here. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm, I, I've been recording this whole time. Um, might as well just, we can just start. We can just intro the pod and we just get started. Um, okay.